Okay, our children are being dismissed to Children's Church at this time. And we are preparing our hearts to receive the word. Is anybody ready to receive word today? If you would, go ahead and turn your Bible to um, Isaiah chapter 64, where we'll read in a few moments. It'll take us a while to get there, okay? But we've got some things on the screen for you before that happens. It's a, a joy, a privilege to be able to share the word of the Lord on Sunday mornings here at this church to people who I have learned over the years are ready to receive it, want to hear it, and um, that's just a, a wonderful thing. On the screen, spiritual narcolepsy. What a topic. And I'll have to admit, you may be like me. I had to look that word up. As a matter of fact, I wanted to talk to you this morning about being spiritually asleep. So I had to Google. Sleep disorders. And then I learned what narcolepsy was. Just going to sleep. Sometimes when you don't plan to. Maybe at an inopportune time. When you should be wide awake. Narcolepsy causes people just to doze off. Have you ever dozed off? One day, I don't do this often, so don't get any, anything like this as a pattern. But one day I was coming in. I think I was coming in from the hospital, maybe from Wake Med, coming down Capitol Boulevard. And somewhere around New Hope Road, I got called at a stoplight. I had been in the hospital maybe all night, I don't remember, with the family but I do remember that I fell asleep at the stoplight. And um, when I woke up, the cars were just flying by me. And I decided I better get my foot off the brake and go on home. Um, sometimes we just get so exhausted, we fall asleep. But sometimes we get careless and we fall asleep. And sometimes the issue is not falling asleep physically, but a worse thing oftentimes is falling asleep spiritually. And that's what we're talking about today, spiritual narcolepsy. I think it's fair to say that the church in America today, not all of it, but much of it has been rocked to sleep. Unaware of the times, unaware of what God says in his word, because poll after poll after poll shows that most people aren't reading their Bibles. We think that probably, it sounds strange, doesn't it? But according to the stats, it's, it's where we are. Our Bibles gather dust from week to week, so not only is, and I'm speaking of the church in general, Christendom, all denominations, is the way I'm using that word now. I think it's fair to say that the church in America, much of it has been rocked to sleep. We're unaware of the times that we're living in. We're unaware of what God says. And we're unaware of the consequences of disobedience. There are consequences to disobeying God's word. And so today that's kind of the track that we're going to take for the next few moments and understanding that we cannot be careless and we cannot be spiritually asleep and unaware about what's going on in our culture and become acclimated to all that's around us and become comfortable with it for surely that would be a very dangerous thing to do. Probably it would end up costing you your soul if that were to happen. And it can happen so easily. It can happen so easily. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 through 10. 
The scripture says there, the heart is deceitful above all things. How many have read that before? The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, when the Bible speaks about the heart, most of the time it would be, it would be, uh, referencing as far as we're concerned, the mind. I don't really want to take the time to go into the explanation for all that, but it's not talking about this thing in our chest that's beating that pumps blood. It's talking about the mind, the, the thought processes we have, who we are in our more of a soul type thing than, than the heart physically in our bodies. The, the knowledge and the mind and the thinking, the ability to think, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Because the heart will deceive you. Your mind and your thought processes can lead you to believing things that are not true. You can grow to believe that things are acceptable and permissible in God's eyes when the Bible says plainly that they're not. We can go to sleep and be influenced by our culture and come to feel like, well, it's no big deal that this is happening and that's happening. You know, it's just the way it is. And it's not going to affect me. And next thing you know, we're beginning to think and act and talk and walk like those who have influenced us. I remember hearing a country song over the years. I couldn't tell you who sang it. I couldn't tell you the the, the tune of it. I can only remember these words. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. Well, it just feels right to me. It feels like it's the right thing to do. It feels like the relationship that I should be in. It feels right, but at the same time, it can be actually wrong. Martin Luther, as I've shared with you before, the the theologian, the reformer, had a saying that, that I love. He said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. That's what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart, the way you feel about things can lead you the wrong way. Especially if you are unrepentant, if you're unregenerated, if you're unsaved, if you don't know the Lord and you're letting your heart guide you then you're going to be getting into trouble. He said, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. But he said, my warrant is the word of God. Not else is worth believing. Did you know that I can trust what this book says more than what I feel about things? If I want to know what's right and what's wrong, I'm not going to trust my feelings. I'm going to trust what this book says. And I will say again that much of the church world today has gotten into a state of spiritual narcolepsy. They have gone to sleep. They're unaware of the times that we're living in. They're unaware that some of the societal changes that have become so prevalent over the last few years and have been accepted as the norm, they're, they're unaware that those things are absolutely contrary to what the Word of God teaches. Actually, spiritual narcolepsy has always existed. Even among people who know the Lord... Even all throughout the Old Testament, God's people were always forgetting what God had said. Or flat out ignoring what God had said. His people. You know that to be a fact if you've ever read the Old Testament. It's all, it's throughout all of scripture. That's why the prophets were sent. To wake the people up. To turn them from their ways. To bring them back to the Lord. It was a call through the, through the prophets that the Lord brought to the people. Come back. Come back. And we'll see some of that this morning. Actually, it's been around 
literally since from the beginning. Adam and Eve suffered from this. Did they not? They were perfect, created perfect in God's eyes. I mean, when creation was over and Adam and Eve were there, the Lord looked at everything he had made and said, behold, it is very good. Nothing was wrong. Everything was right. Until Adam and Eve turned their back on God's instruction and it messed everything up. And since that time, we, humanity, have been living with the consequences of our own humanity and what that means and the struggle we have to please God and do what he says. In Genesis 4, just follow this with me in your minds. We're not going to turn to these, but I want you to see the pattern. In Genesis 4... Actually, in Genesis 3, it was before that, that Adam and Eve messed up and went to sleep spiritually. In Genesis 4, Cain killed Abel. That was the first murder. And then in Genesis 6, let me read this one to you right quick. Because it's very revealing about mankind. Genesis 6 verse 5. The Bible says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I want to read that again. I want you to catch what had happened to mankind. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made him. And then, of course, in the remainder of that chapter, we read about the flood. Then we come to Genesis 19, where there was a city or twin cities like Winston, Salem, but Sodom and Gomorrah. Right there together. I don't think probably I need to define for anybody in here what the sin of that city was. Sodom. Sodomy. Homosexuality. And the Bible tells us that God rained down brimstone and fire from heaven. And destroyed those cities. In Jude, it's a New Testament book, the one right before Revelation, the Bible says this. It's just a commentary on Genesis 19. So Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They went to sleep spiritually. Spiritually, they know they were dead to what God wanted. They were dead to what God required. They, if they knew they didn't care, it didn't matter to them. They were going to do their own thing. Spiritual narcolepsy. Well, let's continue through time in our minds and go to Romans chapter one. This, of course, is. Literally, thousands of years later, from when we began in Genesis. And now we go to the book of Romans. This is in the New Testament time, 2,000 years ago. And here's what the Bible says. As Paul, the apostle, writes to this church in Rome about the things that were popular there. What the people were doing there. For this reason, verse 26 of Romans 1... God, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men 
leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, I've said all that I've said thus far. Now let me say to you, my message is not about this. (laughs) Well, then why did you read it? I read it so that we could understand what's happening in the world today. You see, you probably, uh, at, like me in certain times in my life, have come to believe, had come to believe, that things are worse now than they've ever been on planet Earth. And I don't think they are. Absolutely, I do not. I think things are pretty much the same right now that they've always been. You go back to Genesis 6, every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. That sounds bad, doesn't it? You go to Genesis 19, sodomy, homosexuality was rampant in the city. It was, it was a stench in the nostrils of nostrils of God and he obliterated the city. He burned it with fire. Jude 7 confirms that. Romans 1, same thing happening still there, still happening today. I will say that things probably are worse now in America than they've ever been. Christian America, in existence a little over 200 years, founded upon the Word of God. Am I right? The pilgrims... The Mayflower Compact, all of the origins of our company, of our country point back to building a nation that would honor God. So now we have seen in this country over the last couple hundred years, we've seen things kind of go. We've seen culture begin to fall apart as far as living in alignment with what the word of God says. Not only are we seeing things being practiced that the Bible condemns, but people are doing it boldly and proudly and pointing their fingers at us as if we were the problem with America. Christians are the problem. The Bible is the problem. Now, with all of that being understood... I want to tell you today that we, as Christians, have to be very careful to guard against spiritual narcolepsy. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous world. You can't let the spirit of the world get on you. You can't begin to think like the world thinks. You cannot accept what they do. You cannot begin to live like they live. It's wrong and it'll get us in trouble. We can go to sleep. We can still sing our songs. We can still pray our prayers. But if our lifestyle has changed and we have begun to embrace what God's word forbids, we've gone to sleep spiritually and we're going to be in trouble when we stand before God. And much of what is called the Christian world today is in that boat right now. 
I'm sorry, but if you're looking for me to, to, to soft sell this today, you can forget it. Churches all over the United States of America. Some have homosexual pastors. Many uh, just tell everybody it's okay. Now, let me, let me stop right here and say to you that anybody who is a homosexual is welcome in this church. I want people who don't know Jesus to come and hear the word of God. How will they know it's wrong unless we have the spiritual fortitude to tell them? If we're going to hide the truth and keep it from them, how will they ever know? Somebody's got to stand up and tell the word of God for what it says. We do not hate homosexuals. I do not hate people who are in same-sex marriage. I do not hate people who are involved in any sin out here in the world today. They're all welcome to come to this church. But by God's grace, when they come, they're going to hear the word of God and not some little story that makes them feel good and go away being the same way that they came. Somebody told me this week. can't even remember who it was. Oh, I do now. Somebody told me this week that before they came to New Life Church that they visited lots of churches. It was on Thursday. Somebody told me this. We visited lots of churches. And pastor, I just want to tell you, we heard story after story after story and poems and this and, and that and the other. Nobody was preaching the Bible. Nobody was telling people what the word of God said. And they said, well, that's, that's why we love our church. Because we know we're going to hear the word of God. And we're going to hear it straight. But you know what? If we don't hear it and we don't hear it straight, we are going to evolve into a spiritual narcolepsy we're going to be asleep we're going to be accepting things we're going to be abiding things we're going to be embracing things we're going to be defending things that the bible will never defend and we find ourselves not even realizing it well times have changed you know i know times have changed but god's word hasn't changed I'm going to tell you, if every church in Wake County says, it's okay, same-sex marriages are wonderful, it's okay if you're homosexual, God's going God's gonna to look over that. I'll tell you what, mm, I just remembered our Bible right here. Let me tell you this, because a lot of people don't know about this. Before we built this church, when there was nothing here but dirt, we took a Bible Actually, I got this idea from somebody else, and I believe it was Greensboro. I looked at dozens and dozens and dozens of churches all over. One pastor was showing me the new church they built. I think it was in Greensboro. Never seen him before then. Hadn't seen him since. But he said, incidentally, let me tell you this. Let me share this idea with you. And he said, before we built our church, right where the pulpit sits, on the ground there, before it was ever there, we dug a hole. And we put a Bible underground in the foundation of our church as a symbol to Almighty God that we were always going to stand on the Word of God in this church. When I heard that, I said, I know what I'm doing. And most of you can remember that. Many of you can. We... We dedicated this Bible to the Lord. I had one, a special one I bought. We dedicated it to the Lord for that purpose so it would be ready when the time came. And we kept having delays and delays and delays. So I decided I'm going to read that Bible. I read that Bible from Genesis to Revelation, every word of it, and then buried that Bible. Actually, it's about right here because right there wouldn't work. No point in going into that, but it's about right here. That Bible's still here today. And I hope you agree with me that our commitment to the word of God is solid enough. We're going to stand on the Bible if we're the only people who do. We're going to stand on the word of God. Now, let me, let me say this. I'm not suggesting to you that we're the only church around here that stands on the Bible. There's a lot of 
good, wonderful churches around here. There's a lot of churches that preach the Bible. I am by no means trying to elevate this church above any other because there's a lot of churches that, that have, have men of God that are faithful and preach the word. I know that. I know what, I know some of them. They're friends of mine. So I know that they're here. But I'm saying to us, you see, my, my focus now has gone from Genesis 4, 6, 19, Romans, and the whole world. I'm bringing it down here now where we are. Because I'm not preaching to them, I'm preaching to us. We have to make sure we don't go to sleep. We can't allow spiritual narcolepsy to get a hold of us. Because it can happen so easily. It can happen so easily. You see, the Bible says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh. There's this, I'm sorry. Pastor Ron forgot to turn his phone down or off or something before church started. It can happen so easily. It has happened. It has happened in the church. It has happened in the New Testament church. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, 14, we've got that one on, on screen. Ephesians 5, 14, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. That's like the scripture I've read before that where Paul writes to the church. Could everybody say church? Paul writes to the church and says, put away lying from among you. You know what that tells me? There was some liars in that church. And Paul says, stop it. Put that away from you. That's not becoming to a Christian. And so we look at this scripture and it says, awake you who sleep. Now he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. You see, you can't, you can't play with sin. You should not even, you should not even be thinking about doing things that the Bible condemns. You've heard this before, I'm sure. Sin will take you places you don't want to go and keep you then longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Well, you think, well, there's no harm. It won't hurt. It's not that big a deal. But it'll take you places you don't want to go. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it's surely going to cost you more than you want to pay. It may cost your soul disobedience, outright disobedience to the word of the Lord. Romans 13 also talks about that. There again, it's written to the church. 13, 11, and 12. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Isn't it interesting? Even the New Testament church in all of its glory. Paul writes to them and says, it's time to wake up out of sleep. Spiritual narcolepsy. You're going to sleep. You should be awake. You're you're unaware of where you are, unaware of the times, unaware of what needs to be done, unaware of the dangers out there. Wake up. Cast off the works of darkness. His return is closer than ever. You know what? That's a true statement today. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is closer right now than it's ever been before. You are nearer to the point of meeting Jesus than you ever have been before in your life. 
It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out then that we should be closer to the Lord now than we've ever been, more committed now than we've ever been, sold out to the Lord more than we've ever been, holier than we've ever been, more obedient than we've ever been, because His coming is closer than it's ever been. Does that make sense? But what do we see? As I shared earlier, broadly speaking in the Christian world today, you name it. If it's happening in the world, it's being accepted as normal in the church. And it's okay. Because God loves you. Well, God does love you. But God loves us enough that he has given us his word and he expects us to obey it. We don't live in a vacuum, do we? We live in a Somebody who was here this morning said this to me in the last few days. They said, you know what, you, you, you can't avoid, you can't avoid pornography in this culture. You can't avoid it. There's been a couple of times I, y'all must think I live on Capitol Boulevard. There's, there's been a couple of times I've been on Capitol Boulevard sitting at a stoplight and somebody would pull up beside of me and the car would be shaking. Boom, 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 boom. And then they'd start singing. And I declare there was, it was pornographic. The words were pornography can come in many forms. We don't live in a vacuum and, and, and the culture we live in today, if you get out, if you go anywhere, if you flip through the TV, the radio, the internet, wherever you are, it's hard to avoid things that, that are unholy. Amen. And we have to guard against that because it's out there and we can become so numb to it that we almost could uh, accept it and and receive it as normative and it's no big deal and then the devil gets a foothold in our minds and then we begin to get all worked up about certain things we shouldn't be getting worked up about it's dangerous that's that's the point i'm trying to make because we as christians cannot succumb to spiritual spiritual narcolepsy because of the world that we're in. It will cause us to do that. We'll become numb to it. We'll accept, we're accepting a whole lot right now that was not acceptable when I was growing up. I've told you this story before, but I think it's one of the most powerful illustrations of how our culture has changed. Back in the days, I'm supposing late 50s, early 60s, when I was just a little boy, we used to watch the Lucy Show. The directors and producers of the Lucy Show at one point started to put Lucy and Ricky in the same bed. And there was an uprising. No way! You can't do that! The public will never buy that. And so any episode you watch Lucy and Ricky, he's got a bed, she's got a bed. Have things changed now? The whole mindset, the whole culture has changed. That's only one example of many that could be given. And as the culture changes, if we're not careful, we begin to change with it. But has the word changed? Word's still the same as it always has been. So we have to watch that we don't go to sleep and begin to embrace and accept things that the Word of God does not. Because here's the way it is, folks. The world and the Christians, we live in the same place. You see, back during the days of wicked Cain, there was his brother Abel, who offered a sacrifice the Lord accepted. Back during the days of Noah, when the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually, there was a righteous man there. It was Noah. Back in Genesis 19 in Sodom, when God looked down and saw the perversion of the people and destroyed that city, there was an Abraham who was praying for a lot who was there, who was spared because of Abraham's prayer. These righteous men in the midst of the world. In Romans chapter 1, where I read about all this business here, the perversion that was taking place there, 
he's writing it to a church. And in that perverse society, there operated this church that Paul was challenging them to stay awake. And not allow themselves to be affected by the sin. It's true even today. There's temptation. There's struggle. There's the tendency to go to sleep spiritually. I really hate to even say this, but we're not bothered by sin to the point we should be. But then on the other hand, we don't want to be bothered. We want to keep things... I don't know if it is a word or not. I might not should even say it. But I used to hear it a lot. Copacetic. Anybody heard that word before? Is that a word? Tell me after church what it means. But they say, that's copacetic. That's, that's, that's fine. It's, we, we just kind of look over things. We have to be careful. Very quickly now, I want to share with you God's response to this dilemma. What is the dilemma for a church? Our church. What's, what's the cure for this dilemma? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I, if I were to ask and we were to answer honestly, is there anybody here who has become spiritually asleep? I get more response if I worded it this way. Is there anybody here who has become spiritually drowsy? We'd admit to being drowsy quicker than we would to being asleep. I mean, what do we do? What do we do in our culture where, listen, we take a pounding from our culture when we stand on the word of God. We do. And you might as well just learn it's not going to change. It's going to get worse instead of better. We have to make up our minds. We have to put our Bible in concrete and stand on it where it can't be moved and be true to it and anchor ourselves to the word because our society, our culture as a whole is not going to change. But we want to carry everybody we can to heaven with us. I want there to be empty seats in hell because New Life Church was here in this community. We need to do our job to carry as many people as we can to heaven with us. That's why we're here. Isaiah's response to this dilemma. Now remember, Isaiah's the prophet. We're reading Isaiah's words, but they're really God's words. Because the Bible says, holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, right? So this is, this is the mind of God that we're reading here, although it's being expressed through Isaiah. Isaiah says, this is the way he felt. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. That you would come down. That the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood. As fire causes water to boil. Lord, just open up the heavens, not just a little bitty slit. Just tear the heavens wide open and come on down and pour out your presence here. Let your fire fall down to make your name known to your adversaries. That the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things. Let me reread that. I didn't pay attention to the punctuation there. That the nations may tremble at your presence. Verse 3 says, When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you. Who acts, A-C-T-S, who acts for the one who waits for him. He'll act for you if you'll wait for him. He'll move in your behalf if you'll wait for him. 
You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness. Who remembers you in your ways. In other words, if we'll do what's right, if we'll wait on him, if we'll be faithful, he'll come and act. He'll do something in our midst. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. Then we have this caveat. He says, you are indeed angry. For we have sinned. In these ways we continue. And we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We're going through the motions. We're offering our sacrifices. We're doing our thing. But the problem is we have sinned. And in these things we continue. And we need to be saved. You think that's a valid prayer for a church today? He continues because of that. He says, we fade as a leaf. What's happening to the leaves right now? The leaves on the trees. All the above. They're dying. They're falling off the tree. They're fading. The life has been taken from them. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name. Now, may I remind you that Isaiah the prophet is praying this prayer about and over and for God's people. You are angry. For we have sinned. In these ways, we continue. And we need to be saved. We're all like an unclean thing. Our righteousness are like filthy rags. All the sacrifices and all that we do doesn't impress him one bit. We fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, our sins like the wind have taken us away. And there's no one who calls on your name. No one who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. That's one example. I'd like to give you another. And this time I'm going to Joel's writings. And we'll see his answer, if you will. To this dilemma. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, Scripture says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. You think there's a time to sound an alarm? If you were here during VBS one night, and our musicians are coming, please. We were here at VBS one night, and as part of our um, opening and singing somewhere near the beginning, I don't remember what, oh, I know what it was, we had the fog machine going during VBS. Well, we hadn't used the fog machine in here in a long time. And we had never used the one we were using that night. And so we turned the fog machine on, and the music was playing, and the kids were having a good time. What happened? The fire alarm went off. The fire department came out. With all the people and all the kids here. Oh, it was exciting. There's a right time to sound an alarm. The Bible says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. I'm going to continue reading this passage as we bring this to a close. Now, therefore, says the Lord... Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger 
and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room, let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. That the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples where is their God? Why should the people be looking at us and ridiculing us? Why should they be saying, y'all wasting your time paying your tithes? Why should they say, why those people go to church on Sunday anyway? God's not doing anything for them. Why should it be that way? Shouldn't it be that the glory and the power of the Lord shows up in the house of God and everybody knows that God is in the midst of his people? Yes. That's what it's saying here. Then the Lord, if they'll repent, if they'll turn to God, if they'll care, if they'll cry out to the Lord, if they'll wake themselves from this this spiritual stupor, he says, the Lord, if they'll do that and repent and come to God, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and he'll pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. You'll eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. You'll know that I'm in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. We cannot afford to spend the rest of our days in a spiritual stupor. Some people would say it was play in church. I think the Bible says the condition is, quite frankly, that we need to awake ourselves from our sleep. Right. And realize that God has better things for his people. But he wants us to obey him, love him, serve him, be in fellowship with him, talk to him. And here's the way it's worded in the final passage. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's go back to that slide, please. If you would read that with me. Let's read it together. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And then... The next verse says, and this is the Lord speaking. Now, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. I've asked you to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And then he says, that's what I want you to do. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be watching. And I'm going to be listening for any prayers that are made. Because I want to move among my people and meet their needs and be strong among them. Would you stand with me?
Lord, hear our Land. 
this for us, Lord. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. Please do this, Lord. Forgive our sins. And as we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to dwell? Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your Open the blinds. Open the blind eyes. Unlock the deaf ears. Come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven. Touch our generation. We are your people. Crying out. gather together to worship the Lord like we have today if you were to ask many people who holds the key to that service and if you want to unlock the door and you want you want it to be a great service who holds the key to that service you know what there are people who say well it's the pastor it's not the pastor there are people who say well it's the praise team they hold the key to the service no they don't hold it either you know who holds the key you do you hold the key to the service I don't think you'll ever go to a church and worship the Lord and be able to walk out and say well that wasn't much of a service without only telling on yourself that you didn't worship because you know what worship is an individual thing Nobody can stop you from worshiping. A lot of times we want to point fingers and we'll say, ah, yeah, this, 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 that, the other. No, the thing about it is you can walk into the house of the Lord and you can be so close to him because you've talked with him during the week and you've walked with him during the week and you've given praise to him during the week. And you're thankful for his blessings in your life. You so appreciate the presence of God that you can feel because you've read your Bible and you've prayed and you've spent time with the Lord. And then when you come into the house of the Lord, you just can't wait to worship and praise God. And you don't need the pastor to do it for you. And you don't need the praise team to do it for you. You just want to somebody say, go for it. And then you just begin to worship the Lord. That's the way it can be. Because we love the Lord. Now, Lord, here in this house today, we've heard your word. We've read multiple passages. Passages that teach us, even as Christians, that if we're not careful, we will begin to absorb some of the thinking of our culture. We'll begin to think like the world thinks sometimes act like the world acts if we're not careful Lord we'll become influenced by the world instead of us being the influence that you've intended us to be on the world so I pray that you would help us give us clarity of thought and understanding may there be no doubt in our minds and no confusion whatsoever you are God You have as much power as you've ever had. Your word is as true today as it has ever been. You still look on sin the same way today that you did in Genesis 6 
when every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. You're still nauseated and heartbroken, Lord, at, at many things that are happening in this world today. But the difference between then, when there was a flood, and now, is that now there's a Savior. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died on a cross for my sins and those of those who are here and our friends and our neighbors and our enemies and our schoolmates and the people we work with. Lord, you died for the world. Help us to take a stand and live the life you've called us to live that it might somehow make an impression on others and their eyes can be opened and they could experience salvation full and free. Yes, Lord, hear us from heaven. Hear us from heaven and help us understand what blessings await us as we surrender our lives to you. Lord, somehow put it in our hearts that we aren't Christians just on Sunday. We're Christians every single day. We shouldn't pray and sing just on Sunday. We should make melody in our hearts to the Lord every single day. We should look to you, spend time with you, listen for you, and share our thoughts with you in prayer. Help us to grow closer to you than we've ever been before. And Lord, as this over the past few weeks seems to be gaining momentum in our worship and in our praise and in our hunger for you, may it continue to grow and intensify, continue to do what you want to with this this local church body, I pray. You're an awesome God and we count your blessings today and we acknowledge your goodness towards us. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom come and your will would be done. Hear us from heaven. Hear us from heaven. Hear us from heaven. Let's sing it like we mean it. Open the blind eyes, unstuck the dead ears. Come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation. We are your Give the Lord a hand for His mercy and His grace today. Lord, we love You. You're such a great God and we give You honor and praise. And You're worthy of it all today. We bless Your name. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. We have people in our church family who are hurting. The Bomars having just lost their son this week, Michael. 55, 52, 52, 55, I'm 52, 52 years of age, just a young man, and they're, they're, they're heartbroken today, so if you would remember them, the Lord would, would work in their entire family and minister peace to them, and we'll begin over here to my left, if anyone has prayer requests, you're welcome to share those. Seniors. Family members. Okay. Alicia. Okay. Alicia's mother still in a facility, health failing, and we want to remember her. Cheryl. Uh, Jackie Mitchell is in the hospital, so health issues and uh, traveling nurses for a group of ladies. Okay. Okay. Elvis. Okay, any others? Yes. It's a tough place for children. 
Right. Especially when they don't have parents that know the Lord. Right. And those parents don't have parents that know the Lord. See, we've, we've got three, four generations now in America where there was no prayer in schools. No scripture being shared in schools. They don't get it anymore in schools. Like at one time they'd get bits and pieces of it at least. Not anymore. They need help. They need Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. And your heart towards us is so great. You desire to meet our needs. You desire to touch our lives. You desire to forgive our sins. You desire to make us holy and righteous. You desire to put a joy in our hearts, a spring in our step, a smile on our face, a victory in our soul that that surpasses anything, Lord, that we have experienced up until this point. I believe that with all my heart. I believe you want to bless your people so that even in tough times, even in difficult times, your presence and your power and your strength will cause us to be like the Apostle Peter, who even in times of trouble and persecution said that we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Fill your people, Lord, with your spirit. Fill your people with your presence. Fill your people with joy and peace and love. Help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. Now, Lord, each of these requests we lift up to you today. You're an awesome God who knows every single one of them. Some of these people I don't know, but you know who they are. Some unspoken requests with the lifting of the hands. You understand each one of them today. Lord, there are individuals here whose names were called that I didn't even recognize. But you're a God that is able. Oh, Lord, you can heal. You can save. You can encourage. You can provide for. You can give traveling mercies. And we just pray that you would do that for all of these whose names were called and whose needs were shared. You are a faithful God. And we love you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to sit in your presence today. To feel beyond a shadow of a doubt there is a God who loves us. We give you glory and we give you praise. Blessed be your name. Keep your hands upon these, my brothers and sisters, this week. Lord, help us to grow in you and walk in this spirit that we felt here today throughout the remainder of this week. Blessed be your name. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And cleanse us from.